This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Father, your scriptures call us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, awaken in us a passion to know more and more about you, so that increasingly we grow to be like you, as Jesus requested. Amen. Well, 25 years ago, over a three-month period, Hutu extremist gangs and militias slaughtered their neighbours, members of the haughty minority Tutsi tribe. It was the Rwandan massacre. Rwanda is a largely Christian country, so as part of the nation's rebuilding in the years that followed, the churches ran recovery conventions and where part of the message was the call to forgive. One woman's story has been told around the world. She was a widow whose son, her breadwinner, was a young man. He was one of the 800,000 murdered. When the rebuilding was on, she went to the convention in her area, but she had no intention of giving up the hatred in her heart for whoever had macheted her son. And one day there was a knock at the door. It was a stranger who started to weep and to blurt out that his life was swamped with guilt because he was the one who'd murdered her son. The fury and venom in the woman's heart roared into her throat as she opened her mouth to blast him with all her pain-inspired hate, but she was shocked to hear herself instead invite the anguished stranger into her house and offer him a cup of tea. Despite herself, she gave him the forgiveness that he could not live without. That man began a new life in which he regularly came and did the jobs her son would have, but of course no longer could. And there was joy in heaven. The Holy Spirit had grown his fruit of love, that awesome ability to be good and generous. Now at the moment, week by week, we're working our way through St Paul's list of character traits the Holy Spirit wants to grow in every believer, including you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and today, goodness or generosity, depending which translation you happen to be looking at. Now, just like all the other character traits in Paul's list, goodness or generosity is what God is. That's why he works to develop it in all of us. So we will be like him. The Bible could not be more clear. God is good. One psalmist wrote, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And all he does is good. We read in another psalm, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And of course, the first chapter of the Bible includes God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. God's generosity shines in the Old Testament in his treatment of Israel, a tiny nation, but across the centuries, while they obeyed God, 
they enjoyed his protection, even from the biggest of foreign invading armies. And they enjoyed his provision of food and wealth in their land of milk and honey. But God's generosity shines even more in the New Testament, where we read, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. The giving of his son, even to death on the cross, that is generosity. So God's spirit grows his character of generosity in each of us believers, though it does require our cooperation. Well, what is this goodness or generosity? Holy Spirit generosity includes, obviously, the willingness to give up hatred and vengeance and to forgive, especially the repentant, to forgive just like God does. St Paul wrote to the Romans, and just imagine doing this, bless those who persecute you. Do not repay evil for evil, never avenge yourselves. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. Fifteen years ago, Archbishop Goodhue brought to the Sydney Synod uh, the Bishop of Northern Nigeria, where Christians are a minority amidst an often aggressive Islamic majority. And Bishop Fearon from there told us of a Muslim mob in one big town that had burned the church and some Christians' homes in a night of beatings and sheer terror. The next day, many of the Christians baked cakes and took them as gifts to their Muslim neighbours. The fruit that the Spirit grows in Christians is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and generosity. And all of this is God's blueprint for you now, not just in heaven. A vital part of this goodness is the generous heart that's ready and willing to forgive, just like I have already been forgiven by Christ. Now, there is one character in the New Testament who is the epitome of generosity, and his name is Barnabas. His real name was Joseph, but the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which means the encourager. What an honourable nickname, and thoroughly deserved. Four times in the Acts of the Apostles, Barnabas acts with extraordinary generosity, four times. Generous act number one. In the early days of the Christian church, the apostles left their jobs, at least for a while, so as to be full-time in Jerusalem preaching about how they had witnessed the risen Christ. And there were numerous others who were Christian in the city who were in very poor circumstances. So some people were selling property and pooling the proceeds so as to look after those who were without. And one was Barnabas. He sold a field off in Cyprus and he contributed all the proceeds. 
Barnabas was rigorously generous with his money. Generous act number two. Barnabas risked going to prison in order to discover if a former enemy had really become a friend. He revealed himself when everyone else was hiding, in other words. Saul, the fanatical Jewish Pharisee, had led the persecution of Christians in Jerusalem, causing most of the believers that weren't in prison to flee from Jerusalem. And he then led an armed brigade to Damascus in Syria to arrest the believers there. But, of course, he got converted on the way. He then disappeared for two years of prayer and study after which he then arrived back in Jerusalem, full of expectation and eager to meet the Christian leaders. But does a leopard really change his spots? Seems to have been the response of the apostles. What if his conversion was all a pretense in order to fool them, to get them out of hiding, to meet them and then to arrest them? And they had no intention of meeting him. They stayed well out of sight. What was going to happen to Saul, God's new recruit? So keen, but so totally cold-shouldered by the whole church leadership. Put yourself in his sandals. Would his faith survive? However, we read, Barnabas brought him to the apostles and described how he had at Damascus seen the Lord and spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Now this is a depth of generosity far greater than donating the proceeds from selling a field. This was an extraordinary generosity that risked even prison to check if a new believer was real or a fraud and to do it right away before it was too late. Generous act number three. The persecution that Saul had been leading had now faded a bit since he was no longer leading it. But once he'd made his way back to Jerusalem and had been welcomed by the Christian church in some relief, he went out into the streets, we read, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, urging everyone to believe in Jesus and his resurrection, and that he is alive again. Saul, it seems, <clears throat> was a pretty powerful orator, a great debater, and as a result, he often fired up those who disagreed with him. That had happened in Damascus, where they'd wanted to kill him, and now it happens again in Jerusalem. He was a bit of a firebrand and a real risk from the Christian point of view, because he might easily reignite the terrible persecution that he had previously led before he'd become a Christian. Saul had switched from leader of the persecutors to loudest of the evangelists and arguing with those who disagreed. Perhaps it's no surprise that his former followers now plotted to kill him. Now, as soon as they got wind of this, the Christians whisked Saul down to the coast, put him on a boat, and sent him 500 kilometres across the Mediterranean with a one-way ticket back to his hometown of Tarsus 
in the land that today we call Turkey. The very next sentence in the Bible is, meanwhile, the church throughout the land had peace. Saul caused trouble, so he was sent away, and we hear no more of him for several years. But then something amazing and wonderful happened in the Syrian city of Antioch, the modern Antakya, not just Jews, but for the first time in big numbers, Gentiles were becoming Christians. And when news of this had got down to Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to go and check it out and take charge. And we read these words. He came and saw and exhorted them, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. I mean, how thrilling was this? But he was swamped with new converts, all needing to be taught and taught quickly the basics of Christian belief and Christian behaviour. What could Barnabas do? He made a decision that put his whole church at risk. We read, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Obviously, they were not in contact, and he brought him to Antioch. The firebrand fanatic who at first had made his opponents furious and even homicidal was now deliberately recruited by Barnabas to share the leadership in Barnabas's own new vibrant church. Barnabas could have looked elsewhere, but he decided to retrieve Saul from oblivion. How generous was that? Generous act number four. A year or so later, the Holy Spirit directed Barnabas and Saul to head off together as missionaries. And they took Barnabas's nephew, Mark, a young man, to be an important part of their party. I guess he was the muscles for carrying things. But before long, however, Mark had had enough. He went home and he left them in the lurch. Later, when the duo were planning their next missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to give Mark a second chance, but Paul was not willing to be left in the lurch again. And the result? The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company and they went preaching in different countries. Barnabas the generous, who had risked all to give Saul the benefit of the doubt years before, now kept on being generous to another young man, even though it meant parting with his companion in mission, Saul. Now this is generosity. Barnabas was generous with his money to relieve the desperate, Barnabas was generous with his freedom, risking it to check out the new convert. Barnabas was generous with his new and rapidly expanding church with a very risky staff appointment. And Barnabas was generous with his whole future working life, insisting that one young man be given a second chance, even though it meant losing his work partner. The generosity that God grows in us is a love and care for others which has a huge effect on our money, on our self-preservation, on the numbers that matter in our work and even 
on our deep relationships if our colleagues won't come with us in generosity. I think there are four steps for us to take as a result. One, decide. Yes, I am going to be generous. It's a deliberate decision. It doesn't just sort of creep up on us. Decide. Two, remind yourself often of how God is generous. We love because he first loved us. He is our inspiration. Thirdly, pray to grow generous. Now there's a risky prayer. Pray to become generous. And four, share with another Christian your efforts and your struggles to grow generous. Decide, remind, pray and share. And it all grows then automatically when we really believe Jesus who said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For then we will be generous as our Father in heaven is generous. Decide, remind, pray and share. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.